in uh, inpatient therapy. Um, and it wasn't even by a counselor or anyone else. It was actually this older gentleman who was in there with me. Um, and he told me that uh, it was, that suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Welcome to Theology and Therapy. I'm your host, Alicia, and I'm currently a therapist in training who aspires to help the Christian community. Being that I am a student, everything that I say will come from my own research and or experience. And this podcast is not to be a substitute for therapy. I highly encourage you to seek a licensed mental health professional in your area. Okay, now that that's out of the way, I hope you enjoyed this session. September is Suicide Prevention Month. I recently found out that we don't say people committed suicide. We say they died by suicide. Since this month is Suicide Prevention Month, I wanted to reach out to a guy that I met while I was deployed named Michael Fraley. While we were overseas, he shared a little bit about his story. And so for this month, I wanted to dig deep into the mindset of a person who may be contemplating dying by suicide, and then also some preventative measures that we as supervisors, co-workers, family, friends can take heed to to help somebody who is mentally struggling. Without further ado, please enjoy this interview with me and Michael Fraley. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, Michael Fraley, uh, been in the military for 10 years, um, grew up in Oklahoma, big into competitive sports um, and enjoy food. I, uh, I live to eat instead of eat to live. It's my motto. Um, and uh, and I, I'm mostly a homebody, but, uh, but I try to get out there and, and do things in my free time as well. Okay, okay, nice. So what is your best childhood memory and why? Um, I would probably, this is, this is gonna sound bad, um, but me and my brother, me, I have a twin brother and we used to, um, fight a lot. Um, so there was one time when we, we actually, we would fight over stupid things. And this one actually happened to be him cutting in line. Um, so we ended up fighting over that, but this was, uh, when I was still like a, I was a teacher's pet at the time and my twin brother wasn't so much okay so um he ended up uh he ended up getting um told to go to the principal's office and i was supposed to stay back but then he did a lot of arguing and then we both ended up getting suspended but those next three days were incredibly fun we actually didn't fight at all during the suspension whatsoever We, we had a great time um and it was just mostly we, we realized that it was like us just being competitive and and everything, but. Yeah, and I think that's like a guy thing too. Like they're always competitive. And so it's like, hey, if I can, I can run faster than you or, you know, I can do this better than you. And so I think that's mostly like what guys do, especially growing up. Oh, yes. And, and we were um, being twins. We had all the same friends. If we did sports, we were in them together. So mm-hmm. it was nonstop competitive. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if your friends were to describe you, what would they say? Um, it would actually depend on some friends. Uh, some friends uh, will meet me and they'll see that I'm, I'm more talkative. Uh, but 
but most if they if if I've had to warm up to them, um, generally they'll they'll say I'm I'm really shy and standoffish at first. Um, I like to I like to keep to myself. I like I like to have fun, but I take a while to warm up. Um, I'm push myself a little too much when it comes to work, and uh, and sometimes I can get a little too competitive on things. Okay. And what about your family? If they were to describe you, what would they say? Um, well, they think I'm an angel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, so they would they would probably um, talk about. Uh, they're more worried about me, like overburdening myself, or uh, or um, not keeping control of my emotions and letting things out, um, telling what I want to. Um, being more reserved and, and more getting walked over, mm-hmm. um, but they're but they would say I'm nice and genuine and a very loving guy at the same time. But. Okay, okay. So, what is the most rewarding thing about being in the military? About uh, being in the military, mm-hmm. um, for me, it's uh, I, I enjoy helping people. Um, so, and that's part of my reason why I will do a lot of extra work here and there um, as I enjoy helping, helping out uh, the guys and, and helping them, uh, them grow, even if it's by telling them the mistakes I did so that they don't do it. Um, uh, I, I enjoy meeting new people uh, and, and just the camaraderie of everything. Um, so that, that's my biggest, biggest thing is the camaraderie. Um, the, and everyone just kind of being there for each other. Um, doesn't happen at all times, of course, just like anywhere, but, but it seems to be more, especially in the, more when you're secluded areas and, and you're going through those hard times. Definitely, there's more people in the military that I can count on than outside. Yes, yeah, I, I agree with that. It's it's kind of sad to say, but then it's good that you also have it. But, you know, it you do find that, you know, being in the military, you're more closer to them than you are with your childhood friends or anything like that. Because being in the military, you guys experience like the kind of hardships or those struggles together. And through that is what makes that bond even stronger um, with your coworkers or your supervisors or whatever have you. So, I agree with that one. What would you say is more the most challenging thing about being in the military? The most challenging thing, um, I would say, um, getting proper communication on, on uh, certain things. Um, they're always everywhere I go. There seems to be an issue with like, are we supposed to do this or are we supposed to do that? Um, it's not. There's not a constant for each base, mm-hmm. so. Um, you'll even hear people when they, when you get to your next base, they'll be like, "I don't want to hear at my last base that we did this," um, because everything changes. So it's it's getting used to those constant changes and the and the new additional duties or the things outside of your main job that you have to do. Yeah, yeah. Okay, going into as much detail as you feel comfortable with, can you take us to that moment in your life where you felt no one around you understood you? Um, so that would probably be uh, around November time of, uh, of 2012. Um, we were going through, uh, we were training a lot for exercises. Um, I had 
constant, uh, there was some issues going on with the family and I felt I needed to be there, but because of, there was also these exercises that were going on too, like you can't take leave, we're going to practice for these exercises. Um, the only issue was, like I was saying before, there was some communication issues on when these, on when we were going to do these practice exercises. Um, we ended up, um, we found out, um, that it was actually going to be the week of Thanksgiving before, um, like right, right at the, like three days before that we were going to do the exercise, but we weren't allowed to take leave that whole month. Um, and I was wanting to go back, try and handle some of the family issues or do what I could to help. Um, so that, that got pushed back. Um, I had, uh, I just totaled my car, so I was having financial issues as well. Um, and then, and then, uh, and I was also having relationship troubles. So it was all just piling on. And I thought them, you know, even if they can understand one of these things, there's no way they can understand all of it put together. Um, and I, but I was also under, I had a mindset back then of if, if they can do it, I can do it type of thing. So if any, so basically, like I can, I can do anything by myself and I can get through it. I don't need any help. And that wasn't the case. Uh, I ended up going, uh, I was trying to go home for Thanksgiving. And because of that, they gave it at the last minute, they told us, Hey, we're doing this exercise the week before we got back on Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving. And so at that time, I didn't have enough time to, um, get a plane or drive 13 hours to, to Florida to be back by the next, uh, next Monday. And then the same thing happened again for Christmas. I ended up getting done, like, uh, finishing up the exercise on like the 22nd, I believe. Um, and then, and so we, it kept going and then I wasn't able to go home until February. Uh, so at this point, um, for February, I was, I'd actually planned to go on a trip with a couple friends. Um, and they were, uh, and so I actually, at this point I'd already decided, um, to go ahead and end it, um, when we were talking about this and, and it was going to be like my goodbye trip type of thing. I, I had a friend who had a whole bunch of expired prescriptions, um, in a, in a toiletry bag that I grabbed and brought along with us. Um, and I was like, once we get back from all this. I'll call it. So I had him drop me when we finally got back. I had him drop me off. I turned off my cell phone, went, went to a hotel, paid cash and went in there and, and basically tried to end it. Uh, so I woke up the next day, um, upset. Um, I was also at this time before I was, there was a lot of work issues that I was having. So it was, to me, I, I was considering every little mistake I made a failure. And so, and what this had brought about was like the idea of like one big failure and then I'm done and no more small failures or anything like that. Um, so I woke up that next day and I went and, and bought some different like things that I know that they tell you get, don't ingest and bought those and tried again one more day and I woke up again and that's when I called 
uh, uh, there was a lot of people looking for me because I was, I was technically supposed to be back from leave at the time. And so I messaged them and I told them where I was at, what I had just done. I just told them to come and get me. And I was, at that point, I didn't care what happened to me. I was, I felt like I couldn't do anything. I couldn't even do that type of thing. No. And, and I didn't, I didn't know where I was at that point. So the friends that you were um, going on the trip with, did they have any inkling of what was going on in your life prior to you guys going on the trip? As no, far as I kept like- every, I kept everything to myself. Okay. Um, did you, did you feel like you didn't have, did you keep it to yourself? Cause you felt like you didn't have anyone to kind of confide in, even though I they were felt, friends. I'm, I more felt like I didn't want to burden them. Um, I preferred, I, I liked helping others um, and, and feeling needed, but I, but I also left on the opposite end of the spectrum. I hated burdening things. Okay. So, um, so I, felt that it was just best to just deal with it on my own and I didn't want to tell anyone. Mm-hmm. So um, since we're both, you know, military, they always teach us that, you know, watch out for the signs. They say, oh, when people start selling their items or when they start making these speeches, like kind of like goodbye speeches and stuff like that, what would you say um, that for those who are maybe unaware of the signs that someone who is considering dying by suicide may display um, what would that kind of look like? Because I know it's not um, a generic way of what people may do, but what's kind of like with you, you're saying that, you know, you didn't have those, you didn't tell anybody. So obviously those around you might've felt like, well, you're you're still the same joyous person. You know, you're still that competitive person. Like they're still seeing those um, traits that they already know of you. But for someone who may have been uh, guarded what, what kind of things could those friends or those family members look out for to kind of say, you know what, something might be off? I'd like to thank Michael again for sharing his story. I know that could not have been easy, especially with people judging you or out of fear of just what people might say in general. And so I want to commend him for just shedding some light on the mindset of somebody who attempted suicide. I hope that with you listening, you gained something out of this. I hope that If you're not experiencing these thoughts yourselves, you have a better awakening of how to identify some things that might be going on with the people close around you. A main takeaway is to share your story. It's okay to tell people about your down moments, especially those that you trust, those that you love, those that that you call your friend. Uh, It's okay to share because you never know what someone else is going through and you sharing could help somebody else. And also, it's okay to say that, hey, I need help. I know oftentimes we want to do it ourselves. We look at other people like they got it going on. So we try to um, fake it like we do too. And, you know, we keep ourselves guarded in that area, but it's okay to say, you know what, I need help. Or, you know what, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have it all together. Can you help me? So hopefully you gain something out of this and something that you can really, really use This conversation doesn't just stop today. This is a conversation that needs to be done, not just in this month because of Suicide Prevention Month, but I feel like this needs to be done daily, quarterly, yearly. Um, This can really help somebody because too often we have a lot of people who are dying by suicide. And that's a lot of people who are not fulfilling their purpose. Those are people who don't understand how much they are loved. I hope you enjoyed this session. 
All resources mentioned can be found at theologyandtherapy.com. If you would like to be a part of the Spill the Tea portion of our session, please email us at alicia, A-L-I-C-I-A, at theologyandtherapy.com. If you would like to be anonymous, please state that in the email. You can also follow us on Instagram at theologyandtherapy. Until our next session, have a great week.